I feel like a game show in that we're going to go into the lightning round, but I'm going to try to go lightning round on this. Um, listen, this is why we print notes out and put them on our website. You can go anytime, thegatheringnow.com, click on current series, and all the outline will be there. You can print it out, so if I skip over stuff, you can go make it a better sermon on your own time. Um, third week of satisfaction. Listen, something amazing happened on June the 30th, 1859, and there was this huge crowd of 25,000 people that were there to see it. Now, I know in today's culture, 25,000 people, not a big crowd, okay? It is a lot bigger than who, how many live in Albemarle. Um, but back then, June 30th, 1859, that's a huge crowd. And that was the day that there was a famous French tightrope walker. Maybe you've heard of this guy. His name is, let me see if I say this right, Jean-Francois Gravelet. Hey, baby, how you doing, right? <laughs> like, that's why the French guys get all the girls, right? Because you just walk up and go, hey, my name is Jean-Francois Gravelet. And the women are like, oh, baby, I'm in love, right? Um, but for preachers like me, the good news is that he's not known by that name. Later he became known as Charles Blondin, which is a weird thing. But his name is Charles Blondin. And so this is a picture of Charles Blondin. June the 30th, 1859, he became the first person to walk across Niagara Falls. Um, now, I know you're picturing like Niagara Falls, but it was further down from Niagara Falls. It was, and the rope was 1,300 feet long, two inches wide. It took him 17 minutes to get across. At one point, because he was just toying with the crowd, he laid down on the rope and took a rest as he was going across. Got up and bounced on one leg just to mess with him. Probably did a whole thing like that, right? Just joking around with him. Charles Blondin. Um, he would eventually cross the Niagara 300 times. It's estimated he walked more than 10,000 miles on his rope, and, and his final performance was at the age of 73. And then he died the next year from diabetes, not from falling off a rope. He never had life insurance. He said nobody would ever take the risk, right? Um, so I guess we could say this. He was capable, wasn't he? He was a good tightrope artist. He was capable and one could argue that he he could even carry people on his back and as a matter of fact over his career as a tightrope artist he carried his manager he carried his son he would put them on his back on his shoulders and he would carry them across the rope and back across but on that first day june the 30th 1859 as the smithsonian website would record when he offered to carry a volunteer on that first day the crowd got quiet for obvious reasons, right? Nobody stepped up. Nobody volunteered. And, and now, before I, I finish that story, before I ex explain to you what we can learn from it, let's just take a moment, okay? Let's look back. Two weeks. What did we learn? Week one, Jesus said, it is finished, right? So his work is done. And because he did the work that we could never have done, our satisfaction comes from resting in that work, in the hammock, right, which you're going to register for again today. Put your name in the drawing, and in two weeks we'll pull the name out and give that hammock away. This is what represents what Jesus did. His work is finished. We can rest in that hammock. Last week we talked about compared to the universe. I love how David said, when I consider the heavens, how great the heavens are, who am I that you be mindful of me? And what we learned last week is we're, he's mindful of us because we might be small, right, but we are seen, and we are safe. Man, we were worth finding, and we are worth fighting for. God places value on us, and our satisfaction comes from knowing that to God we're worth 
that. We can rest in that. But here's the thing. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a permission-giving pastor, right? So I, I hereby grant you permission to hate this message. Okay, is that cool? You can hate it. Because the last two weeks are a little bit theoretical, right? We can all go, amen, brother. I'm resting in the hammock. Sweet. And we can't really argue. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But today, today's not theoretical. Today's practical. Because today what we're going to find out is that we've been provided for. We are provided for. That's a fact. We have a God who provides for us. And, and the only true test about whether or not you believe that you're provided for is what you're doing with your resources. And that's not theoretical. Can I get an amen? Right? Like, the test for that is, show me your, your checking account statement. Show me your debit card receipts. I would say, show me your checkbook, but what's that? Right? We just have to look and see, like, where do we put our time and our treasures and our talents? And that's where we start to find out, do we really believe that we can rest in a God who provides. Just make sure you get that connection. So 25,000 people are cheering, half presumably on the American side, half on the Canadian side, as Charles Blondin makes his trip across and his trip back. They're cheering. They're going crazy. You're probably yelling out stuff that we would scream out. You're the man, Charles Blondin. You're the man. What a beard. I don't know if he had a beard or not. It, well, it didn't happen in November, so probably not. But all the cheering stops when he says, hey, get on my back. I'll take you across. That's where we are. And so what I learned from that story is this. On June the 30th, 1859, 25,000 people were entertained by a man, but no person put their faith in him. My fear is that might be true of us. Could it be possible that the church is entertained by God but never really puts their faith in God? Great show, preacher. Man, the smoke machine was spot on. The lasers, it was like I was in heaven. But will you let Jesus carry you? Will you trust him fully, completely, to be your provider? So that's the part you can hate <laughs> and why you're hating it. Turn to Genesis 22. All right, we're going to spend some time in Genesis 22. A really fascinating story about a man who trusted God with his most precious resource. I don't know what your most precious resource is. My guess would be it's a family member maybe it's all of your family but probably at least one in your family right in this story we're going to find Abraham being tested by God <laughs> to give away to sacrifice his only son his most precious resource um remember last week we talked about Hagar remember that story so back then back in that story um Hagar 
She was the maidservant of Sarah, who was the wife of Abram. I'm just connecting the dots here, a little genealogy for you. Um, so in this story here, are Genesis 22, Abraham actually, same guy as Abram. Okay, so when Abram, um, they, you know, she had her child, Hagar had her child, whose name was Ishmael. And then later, Sarah did become pregnant, and she had a child, and her child's name was Isaac. And so if you remember from last week, the promise that God gave Abram was, look up at the stars and just try to count. Counting all the stars to whatever one followed by 22 zeros, just crazy amount of stars. And so God says, hey, through your, through your offspring, you will have descendants greater than the stars you can count. So Sarah's like, dude, I'm old. It's not going to happen. I've got a maidservant. Her name's Hagar. Take her. Be with her. Have a child with her. And so that's Ishmael. That's the child that didn't come from God. Because they kind of took matters in their own hand. Maybe that's something you should take away from this message. Sometimes we take matters in our own hand and we mess it all up, right? But then Isaac came from Sarah. And when Isaac was born, God said, you're not Sarah, you're Sarah. And he says, you're not Abram, you're Abraham. You say that on your own time, the name change and all that stuff. Just make sure you know this is the same guy. So Abraham has had a child, Isaac. Obviously, he's going to love Isaac because this is the, this is the child that that promise is going to come through. And so God, um, everything's going great until God shows up in the quiet time. Have you noticed that in your life? Everything's going great until God shows up in your quiet time, right? And you're like, God, shh, it's quiet time. God has a way of talking loudly in quiet times. It's crazy. So Abraham's having this time with God, and God speaks and says, Abraham. And he says, here, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Um, listen, this is a weird story, okay? So um, I want to make sure, uh, just to give you a spoiler alert, um, Isaac is not going to die, okay? If this is a new story to you, you're, you're kind of new to the Bible, um, right away you're kind of going, this is a weird story because God just told a man to kill his son. I know that depending on what age your children are, there are times that you think maybe I'm going to kill you um, or you might actually say out loud, I'm going to kill you. Um, it, it tends to happen in the double-digit years, um, but, you know, there, but we wouldn't actually do it, would we? So what I want you to see is this is not theoretical. God is saying to Abraham, and he's really driving it home, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and kill him. I, I don't even know what you say with that. Was he, was he go, to, go to Sarah? Uh, got a word from God. You tell your friends, I've been praying to hear God's voice. I finally heard God's voice. What do you say? Kill my son. I mean, what do you do with that, right? So before you get all jacked up on, like, God's method here, and it is a strange, strange method, I want to make sure that you get this, okay? We're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to give you some highlights. What I want you to take away from this is this story in Abraham and Isaac, this story is dripping with trust, okay? So right away, here's why you're going to struggle a little bit today, and I'm going to struggle a little bit today while we look at this, because trust it's like we're going to start making some value calls about are we trusting or are we not trusting God. This story is all about trust, okay? Let me just walk you through it. First, let's talk about the trust of Isaac. Um, depending on if you went to Sunday school or not, when you read this story, you picture in your head a father, right, holding the hand of a little bitty small child about three or four years old. But he wasn't three or four years old. Now, we don't know exactly how old Isaac was, but we do know he wasn't a boy. The Bible tells us just a couple things you can jot down. In um, Genesis 21, 8, 
it says that Isaac had already been weaned. In Genesis 21, 34, it says that Abraham had stayed in the land a long time. And then our first, first verse in chapter 22 says, and sometime later, God told Abraham. So there's a lot of time going on. We know from the story that Isaac carried the wood for three days. So he's old enough, big enough, strong enough to carry wood for three days, hiking to a place where he'll be sacrificed. Josephus, who was um, a church historian, he said that probably Isaac was 30 years old. Some say 25. But can we at least say this? Isaac is grown enough that he can get off the altar. He can overpower his old father. Hey, Dad, remember the first time you played your son and he beat you and you were trying? Remember that? Like, you know, I was so cute. He beat me, but I wasn't really trying. Remember the first time you lost to your kids and you couldn't use that excuse? Like, in your head, you're like, they're like, Oh, Dad, I'm, I'm so sorry to beat you. You're like, that's all good, man. It's like you're, you're telling them you weren't trying, but on the inside you're like, dang, he, like he just beat my butt. I can't beat my kids anymore, right? Like you get it. Like this is, Isaac could overpower his dad. You've got to see that. This is not a, this is not a dad picking up a three-year-old, wrapping him up with, with rope and putting him on an altar. This is a man taking another man and telling him God's going to provide, but for right now I'm tying you up and putting you on here and I'm putting these sticks around you, and I'm, I've got a knife. And listen, Isaac was willing. Isaac trusted his father. Just like Isaac trusted his father, Abraham put his trust in his God. He obeyed. I, he went right away. Early the next morning, it says in verse 3, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Early the next morning. He didn't sleep late. He got up early to obey God. It's a three-day journey, which means that there were three mornings that he woke up and could have turned around and gone back, but he didn't. This is dripping with trust. He trusted God to allow Isaac to come back with him. This is a crazy thing. He said to his servants in verse 5, on the third day, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then who's going to come back? We will come back. Like Abraham trusts God enough that either God's going to come up with a, another plan, right, or God's going to raise Isaac from the dead because God's already promised Abraham, like, through your son Isaac, I'm going to make you a descendant. You're going to have descendants you can't even count. So he's like, hey, y'all wait here. Me and the boy are going to go off, and we're going to worship, and then we will come back. Abraham still trusting God. And then he followed through on the sacrifice enough that an angel believed he was really going to kill Isaac, verse 12, well, let's back up, verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, he bound his son Isaac, grown son Isaac, big man Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, interesting that his response here is the exact response he had in verse 1 when God spoke to him originally. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Something about the way that Abraham grabbed the knife. Uh, surely he wasn't like, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that. Something about the way he grabbed the knife and the way he raised that knife up and the way he was coming down 
was enough to make that angel realize, whoa, he's like serious. He's going to do this. He stopped him. So now I know that you won't withhold your only son, your, your most precious resource. So what happens as a result? Um, three things. Abraham gets a ram, not a Dodge ram, but just a ram. He gets a ram, God gets a name, and Isaac gets his life. Okay, here's, here it is. Abraham gets a ram. Um, Abraham looked up, and there, was, there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, God, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. It's the only time it's used in the whole Bible. So last week we found Hagar, right? She's forgotten. She's, as, like we talk about the scale of small, right? Like you got big people, small people, and then she's somewhere in negative numbers. And she got to name God. She's, she's not forgotten. She's seen by God. And, and, and Jennifer mentioned that name, so El Roy. She said, you are the God who sees me. It's crazy how people get to name God, isn't it? And here Abraham gives God a name. He says, I call this place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And Isaac got to live. Win, win, win. So Abraham gets a ram, God gets a name, Isaac gets a life. Um, and so here's what I want you to get. I really want you to get this. The Lord will provide. Everybody say will. He will provide. He will provide. Not might provide. He will provide. And if this story is not enough, there's a great verse in Philippians 4.19. You've probably seen this on plaques, um, hanging on people's walls in their houses. It says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I love the way that Rick Warren breaks this verse down. Okay, here we go real quick. The way he breaks this down. He says this, he says, and my God will, there's no doubt, there's no question, there's no wondering, he will supply all, not some, not a majority, but all your needs, not your greeds. I love that. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches. I love how Rick Warren says it. He says, this is not based on your assets, but on his resources. You and I can pull our balance sheet out and we can do the balancing and go, oh, there's a lot of red there. But God does not have a balance sheet that's in the red. This promise is based on his riches, not yours or the lack thereof. And then finally, he says this, in Christ Jesus. You got to be in the hammock. You've got to be following Jesus. This, this, look, I, said, I love people that come to our church that don't follow Jesus. I love it when people come, they're just kind of searching, they're questioning, they're not sure. I mean, I, I think I can tell you that we're not like a secret sensitive church. Like we're not going to do things that might make you awkward. We open with prayer. We spend time at the altar in prayer. I love it. I just love people that don't know Jesus to come watch what it's like to follow Jesus. But I can tell you right now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're not following Jesus, that's a promise that's not for you. It's not because God's like clickish, right? He wants it to be for you. He wants you to get in the hammock. He wants you to be in Christ. But man, if you're following Jesus, this is a promise for you. But it has, it, it, it hinges on something. And what it hinges on is being in Christ 
Jesus. This is where we struggle. Because the only way to show God that we trust him as our provider is to be generous with what he's provided. You ever heard somebody talk about a poverty mentality? Here's, here's how the poverty mentality works. We believe that we'll always only have so much, and so we'd better protect everything we have at all costs. Okay? So I've only got so much. I better protect it. And so a poverty mentality always leads to a closed hand. Always. But when we believe that we're, we're going to be provided for by a God with an endless supply of resources, we tend to become more and more generous, which leads to an open hand. See, if, if I really believe that, and here's what I want you to get. You know who said that? Any Bible scholars here know who said that? Paul. You know what Paul was? He was a missionary. See, th- th- again, this is how far we have drifted from the biblical truth missionaries tend to come to churches and ask them for money. This missionary was telling the churches, I'm good, man. God will supply all your needs. If we really believe this, we won't be able to give away stuff fast enough. We'll be the most generous people in the city, the most generous people in the state, the most generous people on the planet because we're not... Basing it on what we have or don't have, it's all based on an endless supply of a God who can meet our needs according to his riches. And and that's why I said I'm giving you permission to hate the message, right? It's, It's not about just money. It's about resources. It's about what am I doing with the things that God has given to me? Am I just letting him give them to me or will I let him give them through me? That's the question. So the obvious question probably is this. What do we do if we aren't seeing God's provision? I'm just going to read a statement. You're going to hate it, and then we'll close. Okay? Good. Here we go. Because that, that's probably a lot of us, right? And, we've, and it's a seasonal thing. You go through these seasons where you're just like, I want to believe what you're saying, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not experiencing God's provision. According to what we've read this morning, not according to my opinion, but according to what we've read this morning, the answer may be our unwillingness to trust him with what he's already given. All right, let me say it a couple more more ways. Uh, big idea, all right? Big idea. This is going to sound churchy, and, and then I'll make it normal. Okay, so the big idea We'll never see the provision of God without first making a decision for God. We'll never see the provision of God without first making a decision for God. This is what we saw in the story of Abraham, right? Abraham, God says, go and sacrifice your son. And as they're walking on the three-day journey, Isaac turns to Abraham and he says this. This is crazy. We've got the fire. We've got the wood. We've got the rope. We don't have a sacrifice. God could have magically provided a ram at the bottom of the mountain, and they could have both walked up in total peace. But when did God provide for Abraham? He provided for Abraham when Abraham made a decision for God. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to make the decision now. And that's when God provides. When I was 
getting ready to leave my job at a church and go on the road to speak full time. I was saying goodbye to a salary and I was saying hello to nothing. <laughs> That's always fun, isn't it? It'll be okay, honey. Trust God. And so in my wisdom, I prayed and I said, okay, God, um, some of you heard the story, but it's just too good not to tell again. I prayed. It's like, okay, God, show me three people that you want me to have lunch with that can help finance what I'm about to do. So I prayed, and I don't know if God gave me names or not, but um, I thought of some names, and ironically, they all had money. So um, I, I, went, I went on the first lunch date, right? And so we're sitting in this, in this um, restaurant with, with a person that I knew probably loved me and would maybe help out and would be sympathetic to the cause. And I made sure I talked about my kids a lot and how they like to eat food and you know, all that stuff, right? And so it came time for the big ask. And if you're in sales, you know that's the moment when you're just like swallow hard and go. And so I said, listen, in, in all honesty, the reason I have you here is because I prayed. And I asked God, give me three names about people that maybe could, could, could give, you know, towards what I'm about to do. And I know I'm hearing God. And so um, I'm just in my head, I'm thinking like, you know, if I could just have $30,000, so I'll just divide that by three. And so I just said, I, I really... I think I, I'm just, I'd like to ask you to, 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 to donate to, 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 to $10,000 to me. <laughs> and I just sat back and basked in my amazing ask, right? You know, so, um, so he said to me, words that changed my life. He said, well, Paul, uh, let, me, let me tell you this. I've watched you grow. I've watched your ministry I have no doubt that anything you do, God will bless and succeed. It'll, it'll be a success. But I think you've got this backwards. I think you're supposed to take the step of faith first. And then God will provide. I don't know what you would do. I mean, we were sitting in Applebee's and it got really quiet. And so I just repented to the man. I said, I'm sorry. I think you're, I think you're right. I hate that you're right, but I think you're right. See, I was looking for the provision of God without ever making a decision for God. That's not how it works. He calls us to trust him, and it's in the trusting that he provides. See, you can, I told Phil, there's no altar call today, because the altar call today is, there's the offering box. And it's not because I need money. I don't need money. God doesn't need money. But, man, he, he needs people that can trust him with his resources. So there's an offering box, nurseries three doors down to the right, greeters meet there in the morning. I mean, like, there's so many places to invest your time and treasures and talent. The only question is, do you trust God that if you'll take the step for him, he'll then provide for you? Abraham did. So let me um, see if I can say that big idea a couple different ways. And then we got, we got to wrap this thing up because it's time to go to lunch. We'll never see the provision of God without first making a decision for God. Let me say it this way. We tend to want the will of God on our maybe. Remember all those verses that we just read? And the Lord will provide. 
My God will meet your needs according to his riches and glory. It's just a will with God. That's God's will, not like what's his will for my life. His, he's a God of will. I will do this. We want the will on our maybe. It's not the way it works. Try it one more way. When God says he will, don't say you might. Man, we're so bad about that. I might trust him with my money. I'm going to test it with a dollar first. Right? It's crazy. It's crazy. Just so you know, it's not about money. When Parker and Will were three, I said no to my dream job because I always wanted to be famous. And so I always wanted to speak in front of large crowds so that they could be wowed by my ability. I mean, Jesus gets all the glory, of course. And so when they were three, I got a phone call from um, a man who said, we'd like you to be over all of the youth ministries in North Carolina. It'll, it'll involve traveling a lot. You'll be speaking a lot to a lot of people. And I'm, I'm just listening going, God, this is amazing. Like, this is it. This is it for your glory, God, for your glory, all for your glory. This is it. And we prayed about it, and, and I said no, because I just felt like I can't do that. My kids are three. I'm going to miss my kids growing up. But I, don't, I don't know if it's the right time for me or for my family. And so we said no. And I knew at that moment it was my Isaac. That was my Isaac. Was I willing to sacrifice the dream job to do what I knew God had called me to be as a, as a faithful husband, as a faithful father? We knew within a year that I'd made the right decision because Wendy got pregnant with Sydney, and I would have missed all, and I would have missed all that stuff. And now here I am, having gotten to speak on the road for five years, plant a church four years ago. I get to speak to a huge crowd by my standards two times every week. I'd say that the Lord has provided for me. But it's because at some point you've got to take a knife to your dream. You've got to be willing to sacrifice your time and your treasure and your talent. And I would be a horrible pastor if I didn't at some point tell you that. It's not enough to applaud the, 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 the typewriter artist as he goes back and forth. You're the greatest. You're the best. You're fantastic. And be entertained by him, but never put your trust in him. It's not enough for you to come here on Sundays and be entertained by God, but never trust him. We've got to trust our provider. And how do we do that with our resources? How do we trust God with our resources? Um, there is no other way but to give our resources. There's just no other way. To give our time, to give our treasures, to give our talents. Let me close with this passage of scripture and then we'll, we'll pray. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 says this. And again, I, I know when I read it and you read words like wealth or first fruits, I mean it's so easy to think money, okay? And that's part of it. But just think resources, time, treasure, talent. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. 
and your vats will brim over with new wine. Like, I like the new wine part, right? (laughs) Okay, I'm all into that. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. You got to decide to honor him first with what is already his. Malachi says, test me in this. Test me in this and see if I'll be faithful. If I'll not throw open the windows of heaven. And I, and I know <clears throat> if we had time, we'd go around the room. I know some of your stories and the testimonies that you could tell of putting God first and then seeing God do what he said he would do. We honor God first, and he makes sure that our resources last. We test God in our giving, and he gives us a testimony of generosity. And it's all because of this. Poverty says, my pie is only so big. But generosity says, the pie was never mine to begin with. So opening our hand allows us to give, but it also puts us in a perfect position to receive, doesn't it, from God. And then we just give it away again. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, the last verse that we'll pray. It's above the, the giving boxes. It's on the giving envelopes. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's a promise from God. It's another will. You will be enriched. And you're like, when will it happen? Well, keep walking up the mountain, right? And keep trusting God. And we will be enriched so that we can be generous. And our generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Listen, that's the hammock for resources. That's the hammock we get to lay in. We can trust in that. We'll never see the provision of God without first making a decision for God. When God says he will, don't say you might. Might.